Resurrection Sunday. I hope, uh, I hope that movie and that video clip and that song kind of brought it all together as to the reason why we celebrate this day. We are here for one reason, and that's because we believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He came, that He died, and that He rose again. And today I'd like to share with you, I think, you know, one of the reasons why He rose again. And, and we've been in a series called The Week that changed the world. This series has been fun. I, I didn't ever recognize this as kind of a Bible teacher that when I looked at the gospel accounts or they just the, the, the recordings of the life of Jesus, that really most of what the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those four guys, what they wrote down, most of it was about his last week on earth. If you look at the book of John, half the book of John is the last week of Jesus's life. And when you look at Matthew, Mark and Luke, the, a third of their writings is just the last week of Jesus. And so in this series, we've seen how ultimately in this last week, you just got to go watch. You got to go see the get the CDs, whatever it takes. But like Jesus enters in on what we call Palm Sunday, this triumphant entry. He, he kind of takes on Rome and their power and he takes on the temple and the religious corruption and he only almost just sets his own trap. He sets the stage for his own demise. He basically knows that he's going to be killed and crucified. And he pretty much ags him on. Unafraid. We look at later in, 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 in part two, we took a look at what we thought was Jesus's most crucial teaching. The, the thing he spent the most time talking about when he talked about how when he left, the most important thing was that someone else come and it was the person of the Holy Spirit that would come and live inside of you. It would be like Jesus in your heart all the time. Last week, we, we looked at what his last final event was before his death and, and his crucifixion, which was what we call the Last Supper. Today, I want to look at what I think might be his biggest interaction when it comes to this last week on earth. And it deals with this guy named Peter, who I think we all relate to because Peter finds himself getting into trouble, sticking his foot in his mouth, getting ahead of himself, causing problems. He just He's just not the perfect disciple. And I, I think that... We can all relate to that on some level. And today we will look at the life of Peter for just a glimpse and to see the power of the cross and how it affected his life forever. If you would bow your heads with me one more time and let's pray as we begin. God, I pray that God, as we just read some simple scriptures and we read this amazing story and we read what you did and how you did it and how you set the stage for Peter's redemption, God, that maybe you would set the stage for our redemption. Lord, speak to us today, Lord. That is our prayer in your holy name. Everybody say amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 22. And if you don't have your Bible, that's all right. Because you probably have a pretty hat or some pastel colors on. Your purse was so pretty it didn't, couldn't fit your Bible. You can follow on a tablet or an iPad or an iPod or I something, iBible. Luke chapter 22 begins this fascinating story, and we'll just kind of pick up kind of in the midst, and I'll kind of share with you some of the things that are going on. The Bible says that when they seized Jesus, that they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter just went ahead and sat down with them. But a servant girl saw Peter seat, sitting there in the firelight, and she, she looked at him kind of closely and said, hey, this guy was with Jesus. But he denied it. He said, woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I'm not. You know, like that, man. <laughs> About an hour later, another asserted, and said, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean, and that's where Jesus was from. So Peter replied and said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. 
Okay, there we go. Now I can cough and you not have to hear it. So, Plus, I have a water up here. I'm going to get this water real quick. Hold on. I promise my wife had me on some weird organic oils. Some weird throat lozenge. It don't work. I love you, baby. It didn't work. Here we go. So Peter, this is verse uh, number 60. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. That's so important. The Lord turned and looked straight at him. You got to remember they're in a courtyard. And so there's this kind of open area where Jesus is seated above the officials. He's being kind of... um, questioned and interrogated, but just below him, this is an open courtyard. He can look and see Peter. This is what you need to pick up on. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I mean, oh, that would make you feel bad. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him saying this. This was just hours ago. He says, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. This is the ultimate kind of betrayal, isn't it? Like, this is your guy. This is the Messiah. This is the one that you follow. This is the one that you said was the Son of God. This is the one that empowered you to do miracles and signs and wonders. And I mean, <coughs> according to one person's account, Jesus is walking on water and he invites Peter to come out with him. And he took a few steps before he fell, but bless God, he walked a little bit on water. I mean, this, this is your guy. And this is the guy that you've been following for years now and you've dedicated your life to. This is... Hey, this is the guy that just hours ago in the Garden of Gethsemane, you were like, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll go to the grave for you. I'll do whatever it takes. As a matter of fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the troops come to arrest Jesus, Peter gets so emboldened that he pulls out a sword and he takes it and he cuts the ear off of this guy named Malchus, who is the high priest, basically special kind of helper and servant. Which is fascinating because the reason why he did that was because in the Old Testament, you couldn't be maimed and worked in the temple. And so basically it was Peter's way of saying, I'm going to disqualify you and make sure you never get to work in the temple and you can never reach your dreams and you'll never be a part. And this was Peter doing this and he just incredibly emboldened. What's funny about the story is how Jesus responds to it. Jesus takes this guy who has his ear laying on the ground. He picks up the ear. (sighs) And then sticks it right back on the guy's face where it's supposed to go and heals the guy, which is this amazing picture of grace and redemption and God's payment for the penalty of sin. Because in reality, Peter would have been arrested that night had Jesus not healed him. He would have gone for attempted murder. He would have gone for assault and battery with a deadly weapon. He would have gone before trial. And so what Jesus did was is Jesus picks up all the evidence against Peter and then basically heals the guy. And now there's no evidence against Peter. You think about that for a second. And literally, Jesus takes all the evidence against you and just does away with it. You're not guilty because they can't find the evidence. It's not there. Jesus has taken it away. Let's keep going on. So, so Peter has this moment where he, this is his guy in, in, in his guy's moment of greatest need. When you want some people to have your back, he denies him to a 13 year old servant girl. And then a couple other people as he warms at the fire in the courtyard. And he realizes what he's done is the rooster crows. He's like, Oh, 
I remember Jesus predicted this, and I told him it would never happen, and now I'm hearing the rooster crowed, and sure enough, it's just as he said it would be. I've denied him. I've rejected him. I have betrayed him. And he went and wept bitterly. Now, there's something about us as human beings. I don't know if you know this, but science goes on to show that in our brain, we carry certain memories, and memories are triggered by sights, smells, and sounds. Do you know that? For instance, if you were in school, you remember there was this guy named Ivan Pavlov. Does anybody remember this? Ivan Pavlov was this guy. He won a Nobel prize for this experiment. And he basically took an experiment with dogs. And we know that dogs will salivate at the sight and the smell of food. Did you know that? Some of you do that. So you, 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 see, you see a good piece of steak. That's okay. I love food too. And so that's not a bad thing. And so, so, but he took dogs and his experiment was all about, can I trigger the dog to salivate even when there's not food around? So you remember the experiment, right? What he would do is he would ring a bell and then after the bell, he would present the food and then the dog would salivate. And he did this enough times and enough repetition that eventually he could ding the bell and the dog would start salivating even when there was no food around, right? And he went on to call this your conditioned reflex. Now, you and I have that, though, don't we? Don't you have certain sights and, and sounds and smells that trigger memories and all of a sudden a memory comes flooding back to your mind? Of course it does. I have, does anybody have a smell? Of course you do. I, I, have, a, I have a smell. I, I, my, one of my best friends in high school was this hippie kid named Scott Deskins, and he used to bathe himself in patchouli. You know what patchouli is? Like, like hippie perfume, I guess. I don't... Don't be offended if you're wearing that today. I'll, I'll come smell you later. And, but it reminds me of my friend Scott, my best buddy Scott. He used to just bathe himself in that stuff. There, there's certain tastes. When I taste sweet tea, how many like sweet tea? Yeah. If it ain't sweet, it ain't right. And so I grew up in the South, and Mama would make sweet tea, and it was like syrupy sweet tea. It kind of gooed out as you poured it. It was so sugary. And, and, and man, there's nothing like the taste of sweet tea. And I lived in the North for a long time. And, and they think that pink stuff is how you sweeten tea. And that's demonic. It's wrong. And, and so you have, to, you, have to, you have to brew it in. If you don't know, you brew it in. You don't add sweet and low. That's wrong. So, so there's certain, how many other certain sounds? Like I, how many of y'all love some Bon Jovi? Anybody Bon Jovi? Wow. You love it too much. So when, when me and my wife got married, we went on a cruise, and we were in the Caribbean. And, you know, they give you those drinks and pineapples, and I might have had more than one. And I got up, and they're doing karaoke one night. And my wife's like, you should go do karaoke. So I got up, and I sang Living on a Prayer on my honeymoon. And it was awesome to me. I don't think there were many people clapping. Although a couple of kids did join me on stage as my background singers. They're like teenagers. Anyway, my point is, is that we have certain sights and sounds and smells and, and, and things that, that trigger these memories. And, and, if, and if Peter's like me and you, which I think he is, and I think me and you are a lot like Peter, here's my guesstimation, is that Peter all of a sudden had a conditioned reflex because... Jesus told him and warned him that he would deny him at the, and and there where a rooster would crow. And sure enough, he did it. And then a rooster crowed. And then all of a sudden, my guess is that every morning you got to hear the sound of a rooster crow. It kind of takes you all back again, doesn't it? You have a conditioned 
reflex. Now, I don't know about, did anybody grow up around roosters? Anybody? City folk here. So well, I didn't, I grew up in the city. I'm not going to lie. I didn't grow up in the country, but I, my grandparents were ranchers and farmers. And so I would go and stay the summer with them and stay weekends with them and that kind of a thing. And they didn't have a rooster, but bless God, that neighbor had a rooster. The neighbor that was down the road from them a little ways, they had a rooster. And so every morning as a kid growing up on the farm or sleeping at grandparents' house, you know, you'd get that kind of sound going. It's annoying. There ain't no snooze button. On those things. And there's just nothing. You can't shut that thing up. It doesn't matter. It, as soon as it's just a little bit of daylight, you know, is that how it sounds? It's something like that. Can you imagine what Peter maybe experienced as he thought about his own guilt and his own shame and his own sin and his own betrayal every morning? You're a failure. You know, that kind of a you're a loser. How could you? I don't know. So we have these conditioned responses and these conditioned reflexes that we have. And now all of a sudden, Peter, because of his own sin and his own betrayal and his own walking away from God, I believe kind of is reminded every day. You're a sinner. You're not good enough anymore. You betrayed him. You left him. You walked out on him. You're not you're not quite good enough anymore. So in John chapter 21, after Jesus's death, The Bible says that Simon Peter says to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into a boat. But that night they caught nothing. And just as the day was breaking, there was Jesus standing on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to him, said, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him and said, no. Again, you see, what Peter does is what you and I do, which is the condition reflex, right? What do you do when you're not good enough? What do you do when you don't measure up? What do you do when you're not worthy enough? You run, you skate, you go do your own thing, you go live your own life. For Peter, it was to revert back to an old lifestyle. You've got to remember that fishing is where Jesus found him. And it was fishing that Jesus called him out of and said, you're going to do great things in the earth and you're going to spread the name of Jesus and you're going to build the kingdom of God and it's going to be awesome. But in this moment, when you don't measure up and you don't feel like you're worthy enough, what do you do? You go back. You go back to your old lifestyle. You're going back to doing what you used to always do. And that's kind of our condition reflex to guilt, isn't it? Whenever we feel guilty, we hide, we run, we, we just, we quit. Because we know we don't measure up. I remember I had this one experience when I was a kid. My dad had cool stuff. I don't know if any of you are like that. Your dad had stuff, right? And what did you want to do with dad's stuff? You wanted to touch it. Like my dad had, my dad passed away a few years ago. I can say anything I want right now. My dad had all these cool collector coins and you weren't supposed to touch them. Touched every one of them. Probably not worth that much anymore. And now I've got them, I think. So maybe I shouldn't have touched them. My dad had all kinds of cool guns. You don't touch those. But be careful. Yeah, my dad had all these cool knives too. Like my dad was a hunter guy. And so he had all these collector's knives and they had like engravings on them and they're super sharp. And, and again, I'm a little boy and I'm like curious George and I go touch everything and I want to play with everything and get everything out. Well, I made a mistake because my dad's knives, um, when I got it out and you open it up, it has a lock to it. You know what I'm talking about? You click, it locks in. And when you got little baby hands... And your fingers aren't that strong. You, 
You can't get the lock to unlock the blade to put the blade back down so that you can put the knife away. And I knew how to do it into where, like, I put it back in the exact same, you know, angle, tilt. It would look identical. You would never know that I had touched your stuff. I was a very good, naughty kid. But how many know when you don't know how to get the lock undone, panic sets in. And like, what do you do? This was my brilliant idea. And it was like in his sock and underwear drawer too, by the way. Which my dad was like old school, whitey tidy. And my dad would come out and embarrass us. Whenever I had little, little buddies over, my little homies to spend the night, my dad would do the most embarrassing thing. We would be loud after he went to bed. He'd come out and he had a big old V-neck white shirt and then whitey tidy underwear. He would come out and yell at me and my friends in his underwear. It was the most embarrassing thing in the world. And that's where he kept his knives. So I decide I'll just, I'll just put the knife and shuffle it into the socks and underwear. You see how brilliant this story has gotten. I wasn't that smart, apparently. And so I put, I put the knife, like open blade, super sharp knife, just amongst the underwear, you know, of the, the whitey tighties. And so sure enough, it was that night. Todd, you know, I get one of those. Yeah, daddy, you know, uh, and I come, you know, I know, I know, because you got to remember, like guilt and shame were all over me. I knew I had been touching stuff. And what do you do when you have guilt and shame? You hide, you cover up, you try to just make it like it didn't happen. You try to sweep it underneath the rug. You try to make like it never really existed. Something happens. And so I got caught though. And dad sat me down and he goes, you know, Todd, I knew I was going to get whooped that night. I got lots of whoopings. I didn't get enough, but I got a lot. And, and he sat me down, and I didn't get a whooping that night. It was the craziest thing. My dad sat me down. It was a unique moment because normally my dad would just yell at me. And then, um, but he sat me down, and you could see that in, in the look on his face that he had a different response than normally. He was part sad and part disappointed. And he said these words to me, and they're words that kind of stuck with me. He said, Todd, look, I know you did something wrong, and you shouldn't have been doing it. But, but here's the deal. If you don't tell me about it, I can't help you fix it. If you don't tell me about it, I can't help you fix it. And his disappointment was in this. is He knew I was more afraid of him finding out than I was of my trusting him that he could take care of my situation. And many of us are like that. We don't measure up. We're not good enough. We don't feel like we belong. We don't feel like we're good enough for God to love us. And you're right. You're not. But neither am I. And that's not even the point. God doesn't love you because you're good enough. God loves you because you're his. Your kids aren't always good enough, are they? Mine aren't. I don't love them because they're good enough. I love them because they're mine. Them's my kids. And sometimes I have to discipline them, but bless God, I love them. They're mine. And so you need to remember that your condition, Adam and Eve did this. If you go back to the very first humans, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, hanging out. They only had one rule. Now, we got a bunch of rules. They only had one rule. Don't touch that one tree over there. What did they do? Go touch the tree. Just like little kids. Okay, I want to go touch it. And so they go, they go touch the tree and eat of the tree. And then God comes and like, what did y'all do? This is, this is what God asked them. Now, God already knew what they did, but God asked them, what did you do? Do you know what Adam said? Adam said, well, the wife that you gave me, I mean, she, she picked it and then she, she tricked me. And then God looks at Eve and says, Eve, what did you do? I'd be like, well, basically there was a serpent. He was really crafty. It was like, he was like a conversational wizard. He just wrote me in, you know, and, and 
My point is that neither one of them ever confessed. Neither one of them ever just said, God, my bad, that was me, I did that, I'm so sorry, will you please forgive me? Not ever once did they confess, not ever once did they own it. It was always blame, excuse, uh, you know, find somebody else. It was, it was them trying to cover up because you and I as human beings have a conditioned reflex to sin. It's a conditioned reflex to our guilt. And it's to run away, to hide, to blame, to excuse, to figure out some way to make it not about us. And so this is Peter's attempt to run away. Because he knows, I don't measure up anymore. I'm not good enough to be an apostle. I'm not good enough to do big things in the kingdom of God. I'm that guy. I'm the one that rejected Jesus, denied him three times. And every morning I am reminded of that failure. So let's keep reading. Again, this is post Resurrection now. Are you ready? John chapter 21. The Bible says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to them, Simon, son of John. Now, remember, let me let me back up real quick here. You remember that Jesus was was looking at them. The Bible says something very, very specific. It says very early in the day, Jesus is on the beach shore. They don't know it's Jesus. And they, he says, hey, y'all got any fish? And what did the disciples say? No, I ain't got no fish. He does something crazy. He says, hey, 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 put your net on the other side of the boat. Okay, now this had happened before. When Jesus first met them, this is what he told them to do. They'd fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus shows up and says, hey, put the net on the other side. They catch, catch an enormous amount of fish. So all of a sudden, if they have a conditioned reflex, they're like, wait a minute. Somebody said that to me once before. And then Peter, realizing that it was Jesus, has this kind of Forrest Gump moment, you know, where he just jumps out of the boat like Lieutenant Dan, and he runs off, Jesus, and he he literally takes his clothes off, dives into the water, and swims to the shore. Now, what had they been fishing for all night? Y'all are scared to say fish. Everybody say fish. Let's try that again. Hey, what had they been fishing for all night? Y'all are awesome. So, when Peter... Dives into the water, swims to shore. Jesus is sitting on the seashore cooking what? Jesus already has everything you've been looking for. We go searching in all the wrong places, looking for something to satisfy the longing of our heart and the emptiness in our soul. He's already got it. Cooked up. Better than you can find it in the world. He's got it. But, but Peter finds Jesus sitting on the seashore cooking some fish. And this is where the conversation begins. When they had finished eating breakfast, remember this is early, early in the morning is what the Bible said. Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? People think maybe he was talking about fishing or people aren't really sure what these are. We'll go with fish. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, he goes, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. Everybody say the third time. Now, Peter was told that he would deny Jesus three times. And then he would hear the rooster crow. And this is Peter, I think, again, knowing what Jesus is doing, reliving the experience that all of a sudden three times I denied him. And now three times Jesus is questioning me. And I think he felt guilted again. I think he was brought back. He knew what Jesus was getting at. I know. I know. That was me. 
And so Peter responds and said to him, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Which is his way of saying, you're not quitting on me. You, it doesn't matter if you think you're worthy enough or good enough or not. You're still my guy. You're still with me. You're still going to do great things in the kingdom of God. Now go and build the kingdom. Go feed my sheep, tend my lambs, take care of God's people. You're going to do this. Now here's what you need to know. Remember, we all have a conditioned reflex. The Bible says that when Jesus showed up, that it was very early in the morning that Jesus restored him. What's going on early in the morning? The crowing of the rooster. See, I think Jesus knew what Ivan Pavlov knew just because he's God and he made all things. So I think that Jesus understood that that the apostle Peter would have a conditioned reflex and that for the rest of his life, the, the crowing of a rooster would be the conditioned reflex to say, do you remember the time you failed Jesus? Do you remember the time you denied him? You're kind of a failure. It's your epic failure. You're a big fat failure. You failed. And so Jesus, the Bible says, in the early part of the morning when the rooster would have been crowing, he restores him three times to remind him, Peter, I don't care what you've done. Don't let your sin, don't let your past keep you from what God's got in store for you. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right about God. Don't let your past keep you from an incredible future that God has for you. And God, I'm just telling you, is here today to tell you the exact same thing. Yes, you have a jaded past. Yes, you are sinful. We all are. But Jesus has come to redeem us from our sinful past. And what I want you to do is to shake off the conditioned reflex. I don't want you to run. I don't want you to hide. I don't want you to blame. I don't want you to excuse. What I want you to do is this. I want you to say, yes, Jesus, that was me. But will you forgive me? The Bible says that when we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us. And not just to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we're all here gathered in the same place today. And you know what we all are? We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We are all lost, needing to be found. We are all kind of orphan children needing to be adopted by a loving Heavenly Father. And that's why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Because before the resurrection of Jesus, Peter is nothing more than a guilty sinner. But on the other side of the resurrection, he's free. He is found not Guilty. I'll tell you why. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. The Bible says this. The Bible says that Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You have a list of stuff, don't you? You know, like a, a, a naughty list. Most of us, we don't run on the nice list. We're on the naughty list. And you have this list of charges and this list of sin and this list of guilt. And the Bible says that Jesus takes it away, nailing it to the cross. There's no more evidence against you. Therefore, you are not guilty. As soon as you put your faith in him, as soon as you accept him as Lord and Savior, as soon as you say, yes, Jesus, I want to take your death on the cross to be the penalty and the payment for my sin. Yes, Jesus, it was me, but I need your forgiveness. That is the moment where that ultimate exchange takes place. It's the cross. It's the picture of the cross, the power of the cross, the redemption of the cross. And it was made perfect in his resurrection. Last story and I'm done. There was a story of a young man who was training to be in the Olympics as a diver. 
And these guys would put in hours upon hours upon hours of practicing diving, just trying to hone in their skill. And so there, there were these two gentlemen. One of them was a, just an absolute on fire for Jesus, always wanted to tell, tell them about Jesus and read the Bible and share scriptures with them. And the other guy was a guy that grew up never having anything to do with God, didn't really even believe in God. But these two became friends. Well, one of them was a little bit annoying. One of them would just constantly kind of preach to him and tell him more and more about Jesus, even when he didn't want to hear about it. And so... But he listened sometimes, wasn't annoyed all the time, and constantly just kept hearing his buddy tell him about how great Jesus was and the, and the cross and the power of salvation and all these things. And one night he has a moment where he goes into the gym to practice or into the aquatic center to practice. It was late at night, and so rather than turning on the lights, they had a skylight in the ceiling. And the moon was a full moon shining through, and it lit up the place enough to where he didn't need to turn the lights on. So he climbs to the top. Or he would normally go to practice his routine and to practice his dives. And as he gets to the edge, he turns around backwards and he begins to spread his arms out in a position a diver would normally take. And the moon is set just so that it, it created a shadow against the wall to where he could see this image of a cross. In that moment, in that kind of reflective, introspective, digging up your junk moment, he realized that he was lost and needed to be found. He realized that he was the sinner. And needed a savior. And rather than diving, he sat down on that diving board and prayed his very first prayer. A simple prayer. He said, God, I need you in my life. Right as he was kind of wrapping up his little moment with God, the janitor comes into the building and turns on all the lights to do some maintenance and cleaning. And the diver looks around and realizes that the pool had been drained earlier that day for, for repairs. And in that moment, he realized, had I not had the cross... I would have been dead. Had I not had the cross, I would not have made it past tonight. It was his moment. It was his specific kind of moment that he goes on to share in his story to say, this is the moment where I realized the power of the cross and the power of salvation, that God loves me, that sent his only son into the earth to die for me so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be found not guilty. Let's pray this morning. I want to encourage you today that Jesus loves you. That God, your Heavenly Father, loves you so much. Like I said, there's, there, there's a thing about when you love somebody, you give. And I want you to know that God loves you, and so He gave. And He gave the greatest gift that He could, the most expensive gift that He could, the most lavish gift that He could. He gave His best because nothing else would have done it. And He gave His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for the sins, not just of you and me, but for all mankind. So that if we would ever just put our faith in Him, we could receive that incredible grace and kindness. A thing we call salvation. So if you're in here today and you say, Todd, I got tricked into being here. You know, somebody promised me a lunch. Somebody said they were getting baptized and they kind of guilted me into being here. I just, I just got here. But today I know. I just came because it's Easter and, and, and I just knew mom would be happy or grandma would be happy if I just came along. But, but listen, listen. The reality is, is you're still here. And the reality is, is the cross is still there. That salvation has still been extended to you. That forgiveness has still been extended to you. And there is no better opportunity than what you have right now to just open your heart and say, God, I know I need you. God, I need to be forgiven. I need, I need you in me. I need something other than what this world has to offer. Because listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I've had what the world has to offer and it pales in comparison. It does not measure up. If you don't believe me, keep searching, keep longing and give it enough time. You'll still come back to this point where you realize that God is the only thing that can satisfy the longing of your soul. I promise. Some of us are more stubborn than others, but hey, why not just give in now? 
I guarantee you God's got great things in store for you and God wants to be a part of your life if you'll let him in. And so today, if you're here and you say, Todd, I realize today I need God in my life. That for the first time ever, maybe I realize that Jesus' death on the cross means something to me and I need that in my life. If that's you here today, then on the count of three, I want you to slip your hand up in the air and say, Todd, would you please pray for me today? Today's your day. There's no better day. On the count of three, slip that hand up in the air. One, two, three. And put that hand up in the air. Just say, yeah, that's me today. I realize I need Jesus in my life. I need to be forgiven. I realize that the cross was for me, that his death was for me, that he paid the price for my sin. Yeah, slip those hands up. Leave them up in the air. Yeah, leave them up in the air. Why not today? Why not now? So here's what I want to do. There's kind of hands up all over the place, scattered around the building. I'm going to pray a prayer. And there's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just a prayer that helps us connect to God. And I want us to say it, all of us together. I want you to say it out loud so you can hear it with your own ears. And, and as you pray this prayer, I think God will do something unique in your heart. Everybody repeat after me. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. Today, I realize that I need you. I'm lost but I want to be found. I'm a sinner, but I need a savior. Come into my heart. Help me to know you. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life as you show me how. It's in your name that I pray. And give me the best amen you got today. Amen. Yeah.